0: Since the start of COVID-19, we've made unprecedented advances in e-commerce. Coined the great retail acceleration, U.S. e-commerce penetration as a percentage of retail sales grew from 5.5% to 16% from 2009 to 2019. Within eight weeks alone, post April 2020, it grew from 16% to 27%. We've experienced 10 years of e-commerce growth in the last eight weeks alone. Now, when we think of e-commerce, we often talk about the front end. Both Shopify and Amazon are public tech darlings in the market right now, and with good reason. But what we often don't talk about is the back end, the delivery of e-commerce. That's why I was so excited to chat with Laura behrens founder and CEO of Shippo. Simply put, Shippo's created the best multi-carrier software layer for e-com businesses to help streamline the fulfillment process. Laura's raised $60 million from some of the best investors on in the world on the backs of continual explosive growth pre-COVID and post-COVID. We touched on a number of topics in the discussion, and Laura intricately explained the nuances of how to think about shipping in a time of explosive growth and operationally how she's leading her business during COVID. Laura, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, Laura, really excited to have you on the show today to talk about Shippo um, and your thoughts on the future of e-commerce and shipping and really how you're thinking about COVID-19. But before we dive in too deeply, tell us a little bit more about your background and the journey to founding Shippo.
1: Yeah, I think these are extremely interesting topics, especially in today's environment. So I'm excited to to talk about them in a moment. Um, About Shippo and myself, I think it's it's important to know I didn't really grow up in in shipping or e-commerce. I kind of found the idea almost by accident. So I'm originally from Germany, came over to San Francisco roughly six, seven years ago. And back then I, I came over actually as a summer intern to join a fintech startup really, really liked the um, startup environment and how fast-paced everything here was. And then from there, kind of started brainstorming, is there, is there ever anything that I could start? And like, honestly, at the beginning, couldn't come up with any good idea. So there was nothing like revolutionary or groundbreaking going on in my mind. And I thought, let's let's first build an e-commerce company. It seems like seems like better to like be in motion and, and not keep waiting, keep brainstorming. So I got started building an e-commerce store and um, that was never meant to be a full time thing. Just like to teach me how to run a business. Building that e-commerce store, realized that all of the different like components of e-commerce were readily available as, as building blocks, like Lego pieces. You just put them together, you use Stripe, you use Shopify, Shopify first, then Stripe, and then and then you use like all of the existing platforms or, or marketplaces to sell on. It's it's not like it's not rocket science, it's all kind of figured out for you already. And then when it came to shipping, I think what was interesting there was. First time, like shipping is the first time that something happens in real life um, in the in the in the chain of e-commerce, like everything beforehand is is on the internet it's um it's online and you interact with your customers online then they buy something and then then suddenly you you're there with a real life product that needs to move across the country so um that's i mean a complexity in itself because yeah they're moving but like moving pieces in the real world that you need to figure out so at the beginning i i walked to the usps store um just to hand over my packages the, the items that i was selling and then from there i realized like standing in line at the usps store is not fun it's only open between like 10 and 4 so very bad hours and then um started looking into the technology provided by by fedex ups usps and so on and um i think in hindsight it's not really a surprise but at the moment i was surprised to just no, these the, these technologies were really bad and outdated. Like they were clunky to use, um, not well documented. The APIs, and you have to write in to get API access. And some of these APIs are SOAP APIs. So it, it was in terms of the user experience, just day and night compared to Stripe or Twilio or any other of the technologies that I was using beforehand. And um, that was the trigger. So that was the moment I realized like this is harder than it should be. It doesn't it doesn't need to be that hard. And then on the other hand, it's also like it's, it's so easy to start an online business and every single e-commerce store needs to ship and businesses are moving online. So it is, it is something where like the pie is expanding. Um, all e-commerce businesses need to figure out, figure this out. They probably don't want to go through this difficult task of, of integrating outdated APIs. And, um, yeah, we, we took it from there. I think that was roughly five years ago. Um, we, I mean, the the founder I work for, he always said something along the lines of build something that's a painkiller, not a vitamin, and um, realized that shipping is such a big painkiller, focused on building shipping software full-time, and have been doing that since. And then to to summarize, I think what what we're doing is really building shipping software for 21st century e-commerce. Today's e-commerce expectations are very different than before. like Consumers have high shipping expectations. Merchants have different expectations as well, because we have... like. With everyone, everyone is selling on the internet. So merchants are not shipping experts or, or e-commerce experts. So we're we're just building super easy and intuitive shipping software that um, brings industry best practices into like the masses.
0: And there's a there's a lot to talk about in terms of how COVID has affected the business. And I actually I want to really jump into kind of the API as a service uh, yeah. element because I think it's especially interesting. You let's let's take a step back and kind of talk about the modern e-commerce stack. You alluded to it a bunch in what you were just saying, right? Which is You know, in tech today, we talk a lot about Shopify versus Amazon, right? Everyone admires Stripe. Um, There's a conversation going on about how, you know, everybody inevitably will be a payments company, but we leave out shipping, right? And and it's that segment of the stack exactly the way you were just alluding to, right? That's so critical and so important, especially with the relationship with the customer. Talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the innovation, et cetera, that Shippo is specifically bringing to shipping. But talk also about why you felt innovation was just so critical in this segment of the stack.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Just like repeat what you said It like in the e-commerce, um, like building an e-commerce platform or, or building an e-commerce store. There are all these e-commerce platforms that that you would know, like Shopify is, is probably one of the winners there. BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce. Get, everyone can name multiple platforms that, that that do this as a service. Then in payments, same thing, like Stripe is, is probably the winner, but you can also name Braintree, PayPal. Um, a bunch of other options. When it comes to shipping, I think it's pretty much a, a blank space. Like most people can't name a single shipping software company, and that's that's fascinating to me because like it is just a logical next step after getting paid. You need to ship your item out, and I think that the opportunity there is is more pressing or bigger than before because. Shipping, I think, used to be something that just happens in the background magically and um people don't know how it happens. It just works. But now consumers are are looking at it and it's it's like consumer expectations have been skyrocketing around free and fast shipping. Everyone is, is learning that from the from amazon prime and um then consumers are only wanting to buy at websites where where free and fast shipping is offered and then everyone who's not amazon is trying to to figure out how to do that and it's not just smaller retailers that are struggling we see even larger retailers trying to figure out how to how to get that done so i think to, to to answer your question about why that's more of an opportunity today i think it's just you used to be able to get away with with bad shipping and now you you can't get away with that anymore and it's not just shipping it's also tracking its returns and it it all affects the whether or not the customer buys from you but then also customer experience and i think that's another really important thing to double click on like Customer experience or consumer experience is what differentiates a lot of today's modern e-commerce companies. Just having a superior experience, having a a brand that aligns with the experience and um, kind of reinforcing what they stand for in every interaction with the customer. And a lot of our customers, they're they're smaller brands. They they like having that like customized um, or or an authentic brand. And around that, they wanna make sure that shipping fits in, in there very well too. Um, and then, last like around, I think what also what people try, tend to underestimate is like shipping is not just about getting your packages out of the door or slapping a label on the package. Like you also have to figure out how to communicate like where the package is when it's on its way. Like your job is not done when the package is being shipped. And then when the mer- when the consumer doesn't like it, you also need to figure out a way to return it. So there's just a lot more belts and whistles that are now tied to shipping that that didn't didn't used to be industry standard um and then yeah i think in terms of innovation what what we've been doing or how we look at it is is really like shipping is an end-to-end workflow like yes you need to generate a shipping label but there's also the part around optimization most merchants don't know which shipping label they should be buying from which shipping provider there are a lot of them out there lots of different options um, a lot of merchants don't know how to access discounted shipping rates because they're, they're too small in order to do that and then in addition to that um it, it is an end-to-end solution of, like it starts with how do I show the right shipping rates at checkout to get a consumer to buy from, from this store. Then you need to tie, you need to buy the right shipping label for that. Then you need to send out the tracking updates and, and, and have the ent- like the experience when the package is on its way. And then when, when it's gotten to the consumer, you need to figure out how to do returns if the consumer doesn't like it. And um, it, it kind of like consumers, that sort of shipping experience goes back into how consumers feel about your company and whether or not they're gonna buy from you again.
0: One of the things that I think you you've mentioned it previously, and um, I'm I'm hearing kind of hints of it in in the way you were just framing, you know, the response there, which I really like, is this idea that shipping shouldn't be seen as a cost center, but rather a growth engine. Right. Yes. And I, I really like that because I think it's counter in, in some sense it's counterintuitive, but in another yeah. sense, even though it's not counterintuitive, I think often, and and I'll say this from a business perspective, I often don't actually think to that next level of depth on some of those kinds of elements on you know what's traditionally a cost center on my PL. So, talk a little bit more about what you mean about that idea of shipping is really a growth engine versus you know a cost center.
1: Yep. So, I think it, to be clear, like there are two main value props. Like on the one hand, you can you can save money. You like by you can have better shipping optimization and that that can save you a lot of money as well and then on the other hand um it is it is what what you just described which is a, a growth driver and um around a growth driver what i mean there is so it starts it really starts with when a consumer comes to your website like you want to start telling them almost immediately um about any kinds of of shipping costs that they will face later. So if you have a free shipping threshold, you should make that clear so that consumers know how many items they need to put into the shopping cart in order to hit that free shipping threshold. And that's a great way for you to increase your cart size. If you set your free shipping thre- threshold in a smart way, like um, by analyzing how much money customers typically spend on your website, you can like easily increase your cart side uh, by like $25, $50. And uh, th- that makes a difference, it adds up. and then um, At at checkout, just like if I keep expanding on on the checkout side, I think there there are also ways for you to show multiple different shipping options at checkout to just capture more consumer preferences. Someone needs it, one person needs it tomorrow and they're willing to pay $10 extra for that. The other person doesn't need it tomorrow is actually uh, more price sensitive. And if you offer free shipping, but it takes... 10 days to arrive they're they're happy with that option as well so just showing multiple options at checkout can can help you convert more customers because it captures more more customer preferences and then um, i think with with that then it's really important to actually meet those customer expectations if you're told your customer it's going to arrive within two days they want it to arrive within two days so then like really choosing choosing the right shipping provider in your optimization where you're very certain that it'll meet it'll arrive within two days is, is the next step And then um, with that, I think there's uh, there's a bunch of cost saving that you can do as well by using multiple different shipping providers instead of just one by having negotiated shipping rates and so on. And then after that, I think tracking is often like... I think the customer support for 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 e-commerce companies they mostly deal with questions around like where's my package why is it not there yet what's going on and um tracking is a great way to just reduce that cost factor so if you are proactive about where where the item is it's on its way it's gotten there it's going to be delivered tomorrow um and if it's late like you can be very proactive around like you're getting a 20% discount for your next purchase as a to make up for this without customers having to complain. And then, um, at the very end, I think returns is another opportunity to delight your customers. So the customer wasn't happy with this purchase. Maybe the size was wrong. If they're going to go through a lot of, if they have to go through a lot of hassle to return this item, they will never buy at your store again. If it's fairly easy to return, they might come back and then try again. So yeah, I, I do think, um, the easiest example here is is Amazon and, and Amazon Prime. Like people know, it's so easy uh, to buy on Amazon because shipping is 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 always consistent. And um, yeah, I think just lets people people don't have to think twice in order to buy there.
0: I think double clicking on the I want to double click a little bit on the growth side of of that piece, right? Because I'm I'm hearing kind of two separate pieces, which I, I find both interesting. One piece is, you know, how do you increase conversion mm-hmm. prospectively? You know, even with existing customers of yours, right? How do you increase basket size, deepen penetration, et cetera, with them? There's there's another element of this, which is I see kind of from the outside in, which is with the partner in hand that's helping optimize for, you know, something as difficult as logistics and really democratizing the sophistication that only really, you know, well-resourced players have historically had, you're yep. also opening up the addressable market significantly for many small businesses, mm-hmm. right? The, the pathway for these companies, whether it's, you know, to go international before yep. you know, what we would imagine to be international scale, or even to go national, right, for a company that might historically have been regional, right? Yep. Talk a little bit more about that, or have, have customers of Shippo kind of experienced that type of use case also?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting one, because it's, it's really, like, I think that the main way I would describe it is shipping is is really not rocket science, but uh, it's so people have figured it out. But it 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 shouldn't like it is actually quite complicated to figure out. So you you to figure it out well, you would have to spend a lot of time just understanding the industry, the landscape, understanding how different shipping companies set up their pricing, where, where they're active in, what they're good at, and um, the goal. My, my goal is really to figure out how to like take this industry best practice that larger cl- retailers, be it be it Amazon or Warby Parker, or Walmart, have figured out, and bring that to, to everyone else who is who is not at that scale. And um, I think there th- all of that kind of stuff like it can be built into the product. It doesn't require. That's the other thing I love about shipping. Like a lot of it is done by by humans these days. Humans sitting down and figuring out, comparing spreadsheets, and it it, it is not like again that the not rocket science part it's not rocket science to build yourself with not even not even ai just like machine learning or or smart analytics and um in in that sense i think a lot of our customers they are they have the des- like if they could just plug Get something plugged in and go international immediately, like of course they want to do that. They don't do it because they have no idea how to. So having um helping them solve a few of these problems, like going international is a is a super easy one where you you do have to do have custom customs declarations and you figure out your duties and taxes, and that's something that software can solve. Or um figuring out how to do same day or or next day shipping, like a few of the shipping options that only specialized providers offer. Um so we we we've seen our customers do that Um, most of our customers even with a single shipping provider can also can already cover the entire country so like going from regional to national has not been that hard but really like helping our customers do national well like national shipping well and like plugging into a few different shipping providers comparing them that's kind of our bread and butter
0: so this space this is particularly interesting. You know, Laura, I'm going to give you more credit than I think you're giving yourself. You said multiple times, you know, shipping's not rocket science. Yes. I think the ecosystem and the business model you've built around it is the rocket science part, right? And, and the reason I share that is because this category in many senses over the last couple of years was kind of the canonical example of venture not working, right? I mean, there were companies that raised a lot of money. Um, you yourself have raised, you know, quite a bit of money. You've raised over $50 okay. million dollars. Um, and there's certainly, you know, differences in some of those models. Some of those models are on demand, right, versus off-demand, yeah. et cetera. Talk a little bit more about the critical levers in a shipping business, you know, that allow for this type of business model to be not only venture scale, but more importantly sustainable, right? Versus yeah. some ways that, you know, some of these other companies have been baked down in the space.
1: No, I think it is really important that that we are a software company. So we're a software layer. We don't have any physical operations. We are software like, plugs into physical operations. So we, we plug into warehouses or wh- wherever our customers are shipping out of, but we don't own or run any of these warehouses ourselves. And I think that's already, that's making the big difference. That we're really just building a, a, a pretty thin software layer that um, almost anyone can plug into. And then on top of that, we're starting, we're building out the different functionalities of like optimization, tracking returns, international, Pre-purchase and all that kind of stuff, and then our business model um, is is twofold, and it's actually very similar for to to try, uh, Stripe and Twilio's business models. So we there is on on the one hand uh, an economies of scale component for the more packages we ship, the the bigger our aggregate volume becomes, and then we get access to to better partnerships with the carriers, um, which which we which is beneficial to our customers. And then on the other hand, we we charge a software fee, and um it is like both of these are, are pretty high margin and um, there, there are no like ass, physical assets required. So it is, yeah, it is pretty lean in that sense. And I think that's, that's how we're different from a few of the um, other shipping companies that have tried in the past. Um, where I think asset heavy models are just more difficult to manage. And also we're not doing any of the delivery, like any of the shipping ourselves. We're also not driving any trucks. Um, we're, we're not like, we're just connecting to FedEx, to UPS, to USPS. So I think it's like, we're piggybacking on existing infrastructure. And we're aware that like the FedEx, the UPS is of the world. They have built up their network. They're best at this. Like there is no need for us to try and replicate that. We just like, It is just the interface that 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 to those shipping providers that is difficult for our merchants to figure out and masking away that complexity in a platform that is much more modern and easy to use has been what's powerful.
0: I think for a lot of um, a lot of businesses and business owners that are, you know, uh, waking up to a new world, you know, in, in a covid time frame and really moving digitally. Right um mm-hmm. idea of kind of a business and the business model being really an API as a service right and kind of you you alluded to the business model being very similar to a Twilio a stripe uh, what I've often found in, in many conversations with small business owners is unpacking the way you know that the uber application works for example right and for folks to actually understand that you know the way that you text your driver is really through Twilio or the way you do payments is really through this that's kind of opened folks' imagination up to not needing to natively build their own payments, yes. texting, so on and so forth. So for, for some listeners that listen to this conversation, certainly I would put them kind of in that bucket to talk a little bit more about kind of this idea of, you know, API as a service and, and maybe one, you know, one tactical example you could talk about. I found this very interesting, the the recent partnership between Shippo and Webflow, right? I thought this was a really interesting conversation or really interesting potent, uh, example of a partnership that's Showing a user how, you know, in a no-code type environment, you can basically start to build your own kind of website, storefront, et cetera, and then services on the back end with companies like a Shippo, et cetera, really enable you to actually have a storefront in a, in a digital world.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think APIs really allow companies to to specialize. So all that we do is is shipping and like what what goes around shipping. And then I think other, be it our e-commerce customers or our partners, like shipping is not their core competency. Payments is also not their core competency, and they don't need to waste time or resources on figuring that out. But there are specialized APIs or companies just focused on, on tackling exactly that. And then um, what what we've done, though, in, in terms of partnerships is like our customers many times they, they don't just need shipping. They also need something before they ship. And like in Webflow's case, it's they need a website and uh, in, in order to, to sell to their customers. And then when they sell something, they need to ship it. So it's really, it's, it's partnering with other companies that are specialized in, in something that's in an adjacent field. And then a lot of these platforms that we work with, um, Webflow as an example, we have Goat, that's a sneaker marketplace. Like when it comes to shipping, they don't like, it is a separate industry. They don't want to build what, what we've already built. And um, they're just partnering with someone who's, who's done it and who's best in class there. And I think it's, it's really a win-win because for us, it's great customer acquisition. One of those partnerships just opens up this entire ecosystem um, of, of customers, merchants that are, that are needing to ship. And for them, it's a better product experience. They have um, their customers need to ship before this partnership their customers have to figure this out by themselves and it's, it's a waste of their time, which is like more time that they have to spend. And um, with this partnership, it's, it's part of their product. It works seamlessly. It's almost a a native integration and their customers don't need to, yeah, don't need to figure out, don't need to do the comparison, figure out who to use, figure out an integration themselves. So it's, it's really a win-win for, for both parties.
0: It's an interesting barbell also, because on one side, you know, services like a Shippo or kind of this business model makes it very, very helpful to get started in a very lean way or get off the ground in another way. And I, the reason I say barbell is because on the opposite side, if there's significant growth or acceleration, it also allows you to say I'm working with partner services that are really best in class at that specific thing, as
1: mm-hmm. opposed
0: to needing to scale up, you know, my own infrastructure. And And the reason I talk about kind of that side of the barbell is because of what we're living through right now, right? COVID yep. has dramatically accelerated yep. e-commerce yep. adoption, yep. right? Um, it was mind-blowing to me that over the last, you know, 12 weeks, e-commerce and in retail has basically accelerated as much as the last 12 years. So how is just, we'll, we'll dive into this, but just at a top level, I mean, how is business for a shipping business, right? How has business been in this timeframe?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that the stat that everyone's looking at is like in the last few months since uh, shelter in place, uh, e-commerce has grown like pre-COVID it was at roughly 15% of, of total addressable market in the U.S. And um, now it's at 27%. And that's been, the, the trend from offline to online has been going on for like many years already. And like, I think every year e-commerce was growing at roughly 20% year over year. And um, now it is like, that That shift is just happening much more. Uh, rapidly because all of the offline businesses are trying to figure out how to become online businesses almost overnight, given that their physical stores are closed. And then a lot of entrepreneurial activity is going on with people pivoting into making face masks and selling face masks or people. Uh, we have a, a whole lot of like farms that have signed up and instead of selling through grocery stores, they just ship boxes of avocado, as an example, directly to the customers. And um, yeah, these are, this is just like yeah, great nuance entrepreneurial activity and then on the other side i think consumers are being like there are a lot of consumers that have not used e-commerce companies before because they just didn't have to and now they they have to figure out and learn how to use how to buy their groceries online how to buy other products online and i think that behavior will for, for sure stick it's easy or it's it's cheap customer acquisition for e-commerce companies as well um, so that's been overall like given that we're an e-commerce enablement tool, we just grow alongside of e-commerce. And given that e-commerce is growing so fast, like they all need to figure out shipping and then shipping, I think back to the the painkiller thing, because it's a real pain point and no e-commerce company is gonna get away without shipping people search for it. And a lot of our customer acquisition is, is inbound instead of us having to to prospect and go outbound. So that's been very good in, in terms of running a, a more lean organization as well. Yeah. So it's been, it's like, to answer your your question more explicitly, it's been exploding and it's been almost difficult to keep up.
0: Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. One of the things I, I talk to founders on often on the show, especially you know the high growth founders that we've got is whether it's through tailwinds, uh, macro tailwinds, right? Some sort of macro event happening, or some sort of fundamental shift in the industry, or it's just tailwinds of of the business itself, right? Um, one of the things we, you know, we've talked about a lot in in past episodes with founders is um, it's great to have all this demand coming in. How do you mm-hmm. con- kind of maintain the quality of the service and the business that you've, you know, you've yeah. developed and really address that demand in a way in which you know you're not increasing churn or you're not reducing the experience so on and so forth right so talk, talk a little bit more about that and kind of the, the operational just the operational challenge actually in light of the opportunity that's also presented
1: yes, yes. i think that's that's the, the difficult part like yes we've we've grown our signups um and and with that also our our shipping volume like every week for us is is comparable to a black friday or cyber monday week what's normally the highest shipping week in a, in a year um but the downsides of that are like i think on the one hand the infrastructure side where, where we got we're actually pretty lucky like we were well prepared for last year's um holiday shipping and kind of have kept that up so on the infrastructure side it's it's going well and and the kudos to the team for that on the like customer support side i think was where, where things have started to break because all these new signups coming in they have a ton of questions they're doing e-commerce for the first time people are also a little panicking like it is they they need they need their shipping operations set up immediately they don't have time to wait and um yeah and then they need to learn about shipping about our product they're asking questions and I think we've just had insane amounts of um, vo- support volume increase coming in and with that like uh, it's been sad to see like I've uh, I'm feeling the pain personally of like our support normally we we respo- we respond within two hours to every customer support inquiry and that 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 number has gone up by like, quite a lot and we had to I think first it was like customers start complaining, and for good reasons. Um, we then had to figure out how to first set up error messages or, or responses that are more transparent. That um, I think it's also about anchoring customer expectations well. Like now, customers get a response like, "Hey, we 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 are just swamped because of COVID, and our um, response windows have increased to like." six hours and just anchoring them with that is better than responding after six hours and they're waiting the entire six hours and then i think la um another interesting one was also scaling up our um like sc- channels that are like finding channels that are more scalable to do support with so an example would be instead of doing one-on-one support we've Launched a bunch of webinars where we teach customers about our product, about shipping, and that's like one to many support. And we had a good amount of people signing up for that. um, And we've been promoting that ever since. So that's been, that's been really good. So I think you can also get creative around how to, how to reduce, um, your 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 one on one interactions. How to make that more scalable? Videos are another good idea. If you have a bunch of commonly asked questions, you can record a bunch of videos, send them out for that, um, or have canned responses. And then I think there's just no way around. Like I've, we've always looked at customer support as is, is not a, a cost center but a revenue driver. It increases customer satisfaction. It gets customers raving about you. So um, there's no way around just getting more customer support people onboarded and um, having to keep up that sort of customer support standard, getting them onboarded and ramped up fast. So one of our company OKRs in Q3 is actually have a customer experience that SHIPO customers rave about and it turns them into into advocates. And um, yeah, we've made that a company level OKR because in Q2, we did phenomenal in terms of our volume and our, our revenue metrics, but our customer support metrics went down.
0: I, I always um, I, I really you've brought it up kind of multiple times. I really like this framing of, you know, what is a cost center versus a, a growth driver or a cost center versus a revenue, uh, revenue creator. I, yeah. I think the, the flywheel effect in the business is really interesting, especially as more and more supply gets aggregated. And whenever I think of supply being aggregate, whenever I think of aggregation and whenever I think of a company that has truly taken their cost elements and turned it into revenue drivers, I always think mm-hmm. of Amazon, right? And mm-hmm. and I've had a number I've had a number of founders on the show that are kind of attacking distinct segments of Amazon's business. And it's always been fascinating to hear that take on Amazon, whether it's a you know, certain vertical niche in which customer experience is really bad, right? Or discovery of supply is fragmented, so on and so forth. You're you're a shipping partner with Amazon, but there's a huge piece of Amazon's business and I, I think the engine that works really, really well because of how they've turned prime, as we were talking about earlier, from a cost yeah. center into more of a revenue and a customer type driver yes the macro level how do you think about their business in relation to shippo given you know shipping is such a strategic opportunity for them you know to really cut into the margin base capitalize on customer control etc
1: yeah so i think it, i like the the what you're describing the flywheel effect of prime is really like the flywheel to drive more more customers to Amazon.com to to buy on the Amazon marketplace. And I think that is also how, how we fit in or how we differentiate, which is most of our customers, they're actually not selling on amazon.com because they're more of the independent or or their businesses that are, that are, that care about their brand and their brand awareness. And that's not just like smaller and independent sellers. I think, recently recently being maybe six months ago nike pulled their partnership with amazon because they realized that it dilutes their brand experience selling on a third-party website mm-hmm. and um that's that's really like the the shared um agreement or the shared conclusion that that a lot of our customers have they want customers consumers to go to their website to them to me on to bombasocks.com or or um to buy from their websites that they have designed, they have thought through. And um, then they want the items to arrive in an ASAP box. They want the emails to come from ASAP. And ASAP is is one of our customers. I love their brand. I think they have a really like strong emphasis on building like a consistent brand end to end. And then yeah it would dilute their brand if it comes in and if the emails from Amazon it, it would cheapen their brand if it the, the box comes from, from Amazon. And yeah I think lastly the the We haven't talked about unboxing just yet, but it is something that a lot of the independent brands care about quite a lot, Um, having just a delightful experience when you open the box. And it's not just the design of the box, what's, what's in there, maybe having a postcard, a few samples. And it's... It's easy to do at every scale. Like I I buy from smaller independent merchants and they have a handwritten note in there and it's super personal. And then I buy from larger direct to consumer brands and it's it's not a handwritten note anymore, but it's a bunch of stickers, um, maybe some, yeah, some samples. And it still feels cool and interesting and different.
0: Yeah. Talk a little bit more about the kind of unboxing phenomenon, right? What we've talked about a lot in this conversation is kind of taking each portion of the shipping stack and either you know, improving it in some lens, right? Whether it's upfront and having discovery of more shipping partners to do it more cost effectively, whether it's kind of personalizing the touch, talk a little bit more kind of about the concept of unboxing and and prompted that, you know, that thought process. Yeah.
1: All of that goes into, um, today's consumers, they're kind of looking for more authenticity when they buy from, from merchants. And what I mean by that is like, it's this social media phenomenon of, you would probably not follow amazon or walmart on on instagram but you would follow your favorite brands on instagram and they're not trying to sell you in every interaction it's more like they're selling you a lifestyle they're conveying that this is what their brand stands for it could be sustainability it can be diversity like or 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 yeah, giving you customized products for every type of skin. Like, I think it gets very, like, personal, authentic, and customizable in in those, like, for those kinds of brands. And then that unboxing is it is the physical manifestation of the brand. Like every, again, everything you buy from it online, you know, you know, this brand as an online company, and then a box arrives and that box is supposed to just like look and feel and convey the entire brand experience. So it can be like a custom box or even having just a sticker on it. There are lots of, ways people can get creative. If you are trying to, if you're trying to to say that your, your brand stands for sustainability, your box should probably be more sustainable as well. If you are trying to sell uh, a, an up market, like a a high value product, it's a different experience than if you're selling a mid market product. So I think it just, there's a, a lot of, a lot of different uh, details and people are obsessed with these details. Yeah. Um, That would, that would be my summary, but yeah, people, one, I, I was on a podcast or on a webinar with um, the founder of one of our customer, uh, one of our customers, Anomaly recently. So Anomaly is custom bridal wear. And I brought this up as like, this is a new phenomenon of consumers are seeking authenticity. They want to buy from brands that that stand for something. And her feedback was actually, it is, it is pretty deep rooted. Like it is kind of going back to the times when we were living in, a, in villages as humans and we knew like the baker and the baker's kids and um, the, I don't know, the shoemaker and, and their family and we've always bought from them. And that is it, is, it is quite interesting because nowadays people are seeking similar kinds of connections with the brands that they buy from. And um, yeah, social media is just able to get the world closer and like convey that sort of authenticity to people over over Instagram or other platforms.
0: I think that's totally right, and it's it's especially interesting because I think services or products like Shippo, et cetera, allow for that personalized type reach to hit scale, right? In in many senses. Yep. Um, you wrote a piece a few months ago on Amazon's impact on the USPS and the need for the USPS in yep. TechCrunch. Yes. And specifically, the point you made at large, right, was that USPS is a critical service that enables small businesses to survive and, and thrive in tough times, right? And if we judge that, you know, just on an economic basis, that's not the right criterion, you Yes. Know, USPS on. Talk, yeah. talk a little bit more about that because um, it was a really interesting article. And the more I read it, the more, you know, my mind started moving to how critical actually of an infrastructure point this yes. is for the small, for small businesses, which are the backbone, you know, of the American economy. So talk, talk a little bit more about, Kind of the piece, what motivated you write the piece, and and some of the kind of core arguments, nuances in the piece.
1: Yeah, the USPS is one of our our shipping partners. So what we're able to see just as a platform is who is shipping, what kinds of customers are shipping with which shipping provider. And we've been able to just see pretty clearly that most of our smaller businesses, they, they like going with the USPS. And like the USPS is actually the best value option for them. And that's because it has the the widest reach, like they have the mandate to deliver to every um To every home in the us and they're they're not adding any surcharges to that i think a lot of other carriers ups fedex like if you're shipping to a more remote region there there are extra surcharges if it's a business address versus a home address and the usps does not have any of these additional surcharges or complexities it's like they deliver to every home and with that i think that that was with with that sort of insight of most of the SMBs that we work with, the smaller customers, they like they prefer using the USPS. And if that went away or if the prices went up, like it it eats either it eats into their their margins or they have to charge higher shipping rates from from their consumers, which uh, like prevents prevents them to to compete. And I think that's that where it, that's where it gets really hard because if you if you are an enterprise level retailer, you're able to negotiate your custom rates with UPS and FedEx and so on. If you're much smaller, you're actually really benefiting from the like cheap but high quality services that the USPS is offering. And especially in this environment where, where the government is saying like we want to support independent retailers and uh, SMBs, it's kind of it's kind of counterintuitive to take away um, the service that's necessary for them to run their business.
0: Yeah. No. I. I... I completely agree. I, I, as I was saying, I, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes because I, I thought it was really well written and it was it was really interesting. Um, Laura, as we as we round out the conversation, you know, one of the one of the things I've been asking founders on um, in in this time frame is, you know, what is the what has the best thing been about running a, a company during the COVID time frame that you hope you know sticks on post COVID, and what's been the most you know challenging piece of of running a business during this time frame?
1: Yeah, I start with I'll start with the challenging piece first. I think it's there there are two things that come to my mind on the one hand, like it's easy to have a ton of like normal zoom conversations and discuss all the normal things. But then when it comes to, I don't know, strategy conversations or or longer discussions that will take several hours to hash out. it, these are just not conversations that I would typically do over Zoom or the phone. Like, you need a whiteboard, you need a bunch of post-its that you can move around. Um, and you also need to be able to read the room around, like, how people are actually feeling, if they're bought in, what their body language is. And I, I do get the sense that because you don't have that sort of. Um, Ability to 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 interact more as humans like these kinds of conversations. They especially the more controversial ones. They're much more difficult to do over Zoom than they would be in person. Like they drag out longer. People people are more insist like they're less willing to compromise just because you you can't can't really see what's going on in in, except for the screen. So I've I found those strategy discussions to be like much more difficult. And then on a on a social side, I think. Happy hour is like, we're still doing all these things, but it's impossible over Zoom to have one on one conversations and no natural company happy hour would happen as like a giant group, like tiny subgroups would be forming. So these kinds of things are, are not happening and it's it's not as pleasant to, to or not as fun to, to attend those happy hours because of this dynamic. So yeah, I think the social part, which also like, honestly, forms, I mean, it forms trust, it forms culture, like you get to know each other as, as humans, not just as functions. So that that's been more, more difficult. Um, I'd say what's been positive is I am honestly like very surprised of, or positively surprised of how um as one of our company values, like we have being, being high, high in conscientiousness as, as one of our values. And what that means for me is like, people are reliable, dependable, and kind team members. And that's been like, it's been, I, we've not had that stress tested and it's been stress tested in COVID and people have been, even though no one's like standing behind them to, to, to see whether or not they're working, like everyone's been extremely reliable and dependable. Everything's still getting done. And there's just a lot of that yeah, trust that, um, our team members are taking ownership and, and just things still get done. And that's been, yeah, I, I, I've I loved just seeing that. And I've loved seeing this, this value lived in action.
0: Laura, this has been, this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm so glad you had the time, you know, to come on the show today. Um, shipping is, we were talking about this a little bit before, but shipping is, is not a category, uh, you know, folks talk about enough, but it's such a critical part, you know, of, of the, of the business stack. So it was, it was a pleasure to hear you know, the way you think about the business and and really looking forward to watching the Shippo story from afar.
1: Thank you.